Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, I'm David Evans, and this is the Media Series from Wolves Fancast. This is Episode 9, Co-Commentary. If the commentator tells the story, then it is the co-commentator's role to explain how and why events have happened. The role of a co-commentator on television and radio has grown prominently within the last few years, But what work goes into being a co-commentator that we don't see? And what challenges does this role have in the modern media landscape? Andy Hinchcliffe is a co-commentator for Sky Sports and part of the Set Piece Menu podcast. I spoke to Andy about these topics and more. A lot of the people we talk to in this series have career-wise have built up to the moment to where they are now in their career, whereas obviously it's a different uh, scenario for you because obviously you had a completely different career before you worked in the, in the media, you were a footballer. Uh, so when, when the day came when you, you hung up your boots and you were looking to what your career would look like after that, how, how did you get into working into the media? Was it something that interested you? Was it something that was suggested to you? Did it just just so about you fell into to the role? How, how did it all come about for you? It was a complete accident. As a as a player, I actually didn't do any any interviews at all when I played for my clubs, Everton, Sheffield Wednesday, Man City, played for England. I, I was scared to death. I, I, I never wanted to make a fool of myself, so I didn't do any, any press interviews at all. So strangely, when I retired in 2002, um, I was invited to a, a Man City game. So I happened to my two two boys. They were eight and six City fans. We watched the game. I was approached uh, by Radio Manchester and did an interview pitch side before the game, just chatting about my career in Man City. And then I got a call saying, do you want to do some radio kind of co-commentary uh, and host maybe a, um, a phone-in show? So completely by accident, I, I fell into the radio side of things. But what I, what I did, I realised that there's a lot, lot of life that 
after football. So basically, I retired at 33. Um, and I kind of fell into this by accident. But when I got the opportunity, what I did was I really did grab it. So whether it be the radio work, or eventually when Sky called me up and said, you want to do some, some TV work, I worked as hard as possible as I could because broadcasting is a completely new skill. I knew nothing about it, had done none of it when I was playing. But I'm of the mind that I, I thought, well, this is a real opportunity to, to have a second career. So I threw myself into it and tried to develop and, and be as good as I could be, develop the role, find out what it was all about in radio and in TV. But it was, but I took, so again, I didn't retire and then thought I wanted, I knew I didn't want to be a coach, but I had no plans to, to work in the media at all. I hadn't done any kind of courses or anything like that. So but sometimes the, the people I speak to around the business as well, that tends to happen quite a lot. You tend to fall into these kind of opportunities and then it's whether you take them, whether you grab them, whether you do the work in that new kind of environment to, to be the best that you can be. And that's, I think, what's kind of given me kind of a platform to, to go on over the last decade to get to doing live Premier League games is because the work I'm always willing to do. And I'm just fascinated by the industry. I think if you can play the game, it was always instinctive to me from being a kid. I could play um, and, and did well during my career, reasonably well. But media, again, the broadcasting was something I had to learn and I learned from the very best and I've had some great people around me working for different companies, some great support. But I've soaked it all up and I've learned and learned and learned and thought, well, right, how can I hold myself to be the best broadcaster? Because that's what I want to be, a broadcaster who played the game, not a footballer who broadcasts. I think there's a very a big discrepancy between the two. So I want to be considered a broadcaster who plays football and that's that's what I've always aimed to be. And we've talked about off air that there's, there's two particular things that you're known for now for, for Sky is being a pundit and a co-commentator. Could you just give us kind of a, a brief overview of on, on the day of a game, for, for example, what kind of preparation do you need to do uh, before you then have to go to work, as it were? And what happens perhaps, what preparations happens before the build-up of the game, behind the scenes that perhaps um, people don't realise that you have to do in your role? I think the first thing to say is the, the, the role of a studio pundit, say a co-commentator, is massively different. I've, I've done both, but I really started as a co-commentator. There's, there's less and less people willing to do this, maybe able to do this. So it's a really demanding role for 90 minutes of microphone. You've got to be able to react very quickly to what's happening, and you've got to have the words, basically, the vocabulary to actually explain yourself really well. So again, it's a very different role, co-commentary, to, to the studio pundit. That's not putting down studio punditry. It's just you have more time in the studio to look at replays and kind of formulate what you want to say. So co-commentary has always been my thing, but actually my my process, when I'm given games, I'm given games six weeks in advance when my rotor comes out, I, I'm already looking at, at teams, formations, substitutions, lineups six weeks ahead of the game that I'm doing. So the preparation starts way in advance. So I've got a file, a constantly revolving file of the games that I've got coming up and I'm constantly filling out team formations and, as I say, substitutes. All the things that are happening around a team and how they play. Because ultimately, as a co-commentator, you're there to explain what's happening on the pitch. So you have to know the players, where they normally play, what the coach tends to do in different games, home and away. And this process starts well, well, well before. It's not just turning up on the day of a game and commentating on the match. But I've, I've pushed myself again, the, the development in, in how I do things as well, and I've involved myself a lot more with the with the guys at Sky in terms of graphics and stats and how we explain the game to the viewer. Because my view is always the viewer is king. They pay their money, they want to be informed and entertained. So I'm working backwards from the viewer. So my preparation has to put me in the best possible position. Whatever team I'm covering, hopefully a fan of that team, if they're listening in, realise that I've done my homework and I know everything about that team. I don't support them or watch them week in and week out, but 
everything I've done in preparation for commentating on them is as much as I could possibly do. Be professional, and that's what it's all about. It's not a hobby, this 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 job. It's a profession, it's a career, and I work very hard to kind of give the best of myself in doing that. So, yeah, we get stat packs sent out from Sky a week before the game, which, again, have so much information in, but I'm online all the time looking at, again, stories behind players, stories behind teams, probably doing more the many co-commentators did 10 years ago. But I just think, again, we're trying to inform and entertain the public. The commentator will do his job with the what's happening. I'm there for the how and why, the nuts and bolts of the game. But again, you need to be abreast of all the stories and you need to know everything about everybody that's involved on a match day. So it's it probably sounds like when you hear someone commentate that they maybe have just turned up and clearly they know the players and how a team plays and they, they've got the words to explain themselves. But the background we do and the work that the commentators do is extraordinary. You go weeks and weeks of preparation, hours and hours for any game. And that's what I thought. If the commentators are doing this, that's what a co-commentator has to do. And that's the challenge for a former player is to raise the bar to their level. So when we broadcast, we are as good as we can possibly be. And that takes a lot of homework and a lot of hours kind of working. I, I always, I've always enjoyed that. And again, developing the role into looking at different ways we can explain the game in terms of graphics and so we're working all the time and it's getting better and better at Sky we're involving more and more people in, in what we put on screen during those 90 minutes is as entertaining as informative and understandable for the for the, for the viewer and for, for fans watching the game so that's what we're trying to do but the preparation is that's the key thing people are always surprised when they see the notes that we have and how much we know well that only comes from doing weeks and weeks of, of prep it's not something where we just turn up and, and wing it those days are long gone with the fan base now are, are fans now are probably a lot more knowledgeable about how their game works about the tactics about the coaching does that yeah. kind of breed into the what you talked about there the research you have to do now you're probably more mindful of the You've got to, like you say, you've got to make sure that everything you say is spot on because you perhaps, because of what the knowledge of the fan base is now, they perhaps can call like, call you out a bit more than you yes, perhaps they would have done about a decade ago. It's absolutely true. The fans are far more informed than we ever were with the internet, the availability of, of stats and video clips, and they, they know everything about their team. Clearly, they'll know everything about their team. So that's why I say it's vitally important. I do or as much as I possibly can that if I were to sit down with a Wolves fan or a Man City fan or, or someone in League Two, that if I'm doing one of their games, I'm hopefully as informed as I could possibly be. But also, I like to speak to fans of those clubs as well because they see these their, their team play week in and week out and there'll be little nuggets that will give you which actually you can refer to and again that just makes fans of those teams realise that actually you're not just turning up and saying I don't really care about how Coventry play today I'm just here to do a job I do care that the fans are listening to what we say and if, if they're sitting back thinking you know what this, this guy is clearly found out a little bit about our club and he knows exactly about that player where he came from that he's played in a couple of positions I think again it just makes the fans relax a little bit more and understand that we're not just taking it for granted we do take it very seriously fans of every club we, we I try and talk to because I think it's that you do get some fabulous information and the stuff that they will tell you that won't be in any stat patch you won't find on the internet because they have been at the games you know it might be a crowd reaction to a certain player or a substitution something that you, you think is inconsequential or, or it doesn't mean anything it can mean an awful lot because it might well happen in the game that you're covering so yeah I'm well aware the fans know more than ever the stats are out there their interest in, in, in football is, is growing generation by generation so I've got to go along with that as well I, I, I can't just turn up and pretend that I know about a team I, I need to know everything that they know as well I think they do appreciate that we're putting that work in as well Was there anything that was quite a big eye-opener for you something that perhaps looking from the outside in 
And then when you've started thinking, well, I didn't realise that I needed to do this or I had to learn this skills or anything, that was quite a big eye-opener when you started being either a pundit or a co-commentator. Um, certainly in terms of co-commentary, the, the biggest surprise for me was, it's not just Sky, but all the media outlets, they basically operated a sink or swim policy. So you came from playing the game, you were sent up onto a gantry, you weren't told anything about the communications up there, who you're going to hear in your headphones. They basically threw you in, and this was their policy, to see kind of who would who would be okay and who wouldn't. And I, again, and I thought, well, this is how it's going to be, so I've got to get my head around this, that you're not necessarily going to get any training or guidance into what you're meant to be doing or who you're going to be hearing. Because on a match day, you put your headphones on, you've got a producer, you've got a director, you've got the commentator's voice, and you've got your own thoughts. So you've got four things going on in your head. And it's, it's when you first when I first started doing this, I did two or three games, I thought, this is crazy, I can't even concentrate on what I'm meant to be doing here. But in time, you just learn how to kind of hear without really listening. You, you know what the director's saying, because you need to hear what the director's saying in terms of cameras and replays. You need to know what's going to be coming on screen. But you kind of hear it without, it's, it's kind of in the background, and you, you learn how to do or you have to learn how to do that. And that's what I'm also defining the role. I, I did the job for two or three years, and I kind of developed, and I moved on through the leagues and started doing Premier League games. I think, well, I must be doing something right here. But I thought, if no one's going to tell me what my job as a co-commentator is, I need to find out, because I, I need to know, just for my own benefit, I need to know. Alan Parry, the, he's been around for a long, long time, Alan. He was the first guy that I worked with. And after about two years, I, I, I had a chat with him and said, Alan, would you, would you mind just writing me? What what exactly a co commentator is meant to bring to a to a to a broadcast? What I'm meant to provide alongside you? And Alan Parry said to me, in 40 years, no co commentator had ever asked him that question. Wow, which I find crazy. And I just thought, well, that's the first thing I have to do is find out what what is my role, and then define it, and then work towards providing that service. And I just couldn't believe when he told me that. So he wrote me a brilliant kind of two-page breakdown. And I did it with all the other Peter Drury, who I've worked with many, many times, Martin Tyler, Bill Leslie, all the guys, all directors, producers. I've got all their their thoughts on what a co-commentator is and distilled it all down and thought, well, for my own benefit to start with, and then it's developed on, I'm helping other people with, with the role as well. But I thought, this is crazy. We're given such responsibility, yet... No one's really defined what the role of a co-commentator, a former player, the only former player on the gantry. So again, you've got to think there is a specific role there. What is it? I found out what it was. And hopefully, as I've realised what I'm meant to be doing, you get better and better at describing the how and the why. Because ultimately, that's what you're there to do, how and why things happen. Not the what's, not it was a great cross, it was a great header, a great goal. You can see that. The commentators just said that. My job is to describe, work out how and why that goal came about. What did defenders do wrong? What did strikers do well? So it's the footballing aspect of the, the co-commentary role. But if it's not defined, then how do you know? You're, just, you're guessing yeah. or you're kind of learning on the hoof. So that really surprised me was the sink or swim element and also the fact that no one in 40-odd years of doing this had actually defined, by the way, this is what a co-commentator is here to provide. So now we've got it in place now. I'm passing this down the, the chain to the newer guys coming out of the game and saying, well, this is what I learned, this is what I found out from people who know far more than I do about what you're meant to be providing. So if you follow these guidelines, you've got a good chance of being a success. So, yeah, they're the two main things that really stood out for me. But it did take... It's a new business. You step into a new business. You don't want to tell everyone they've got it wrong or you don't want to start kind of throwing your weight around or asking questions too early. So I did it for a couple of years and then thought, hold on a minute, I need a bit of help just to kind of push me along and develop me and, and improve. So I want to get better and better at what I do and the only way is to get help from the people around you. So that's what I did and hopefully it's, it's served me well in the past 10 years. 
It's quite interesting what you say there, because if you look at the role of a, a commentator and a co-commentator, if you look at it like a story, the commentator yes. is basically the narrator, and yeah. you are there as a co-commentator just basically trying to explain what, why potentially certain actions have happened in that story. Absolutely, absolutely, that's it, and you're there as a team, it's a commentary team, it's not, it's, it's, again, you're not doing the same job, you're doing very, very different jobs, and again, as you get to work with people over a long period of time, you, you get to know each other well, and the conversations can move away from football into other kind of stories around the club, but as long as you, again, you've done your homework, you know those stories, you can have those conversations to inform and entertain, but ultimately, it's like you say, if a cross goes in and Aguero scores... My job isn't to say it's a great cross and Aguero's finished it really well. My job is to say, well, what did Aguero do to get in that position to score? Did the defender not close the cross? There? Again, did, did something happen tactically, formationally, to allow this to happen? That's the footballing aspect. The commentator doesn't talk about that. He just basically describes what's happened. So, again, you're absolutely right. But, again, that needs to be defined. You need to understand as a co-commentator. You're part of a team, but you have got a very different role from the guy that you're standing next to. He knows that. And, again, what I wanted to do was... I didn't want to step onto a gantry feeling a commentator working with me is thinking, I'm not sure what I can ask him today or what he knows about what's going on. I want a commentator that works with me to know that I've done as much as I possibly can to be in a, to, a position to talk really sensibly and understandably about what's happening. They have confidence to talk to me about anything to do with these clubs and this game. And once you get that understanding, I, I just, again, we have to, I have to raise my bar. All former players have to raise the bar to get to the level of commentators because they're... Their skill set is extraordinary. How they do that, I don't know how really, I, I don't know how they do what they do, but it's incredibly, it's, it's really impressive what they do. So it's working with them, not against them, or not actually doing the job that you're meant to be doing. You don't repeat what they've just said because it's pointless. That's not what you're there for. So an understanding between the, the, the commentary team is, is really important. But that, that has come with me in, in time and working with the same people for, for year after year. How did you find that transition between playing football and now analysing the game? Was that a challenge in itself? Did it come quite easily with when you perhaps were watching games, when you were on, obviously on the pitch and watching things in general? Not at all. I, that's why I said I, I had no, there's no way I was going to be a, a coach or a manager. I, I, I'm not just saying this, I'm not being self-deprecating here. I, I struggled enough to play my own position. There's no way when I was playing was I looking at centre-halves or central midfielders or strikers saying, you know what, you should be doing more of this, that and the other. I, I wasn't confident enough. I didn't know their positions enough because I had not played there. So I really just tried to do my job, play my position as well as I could possibly do. So I didn't really have the... And tactics were very different. You know, when I played four four two, was basically the, the the way of playing. I played a little bit of the wing back system later in my career, so I learned that obviously there are different styles and ways of playing. But it was very regimented where I was brought up as a kid. It was four four two for a good ten years of my career. Nothing really. So there wasn't a lot to kind of learn about tactics because it was what it was. But what I've done again about immersing yourself and saying, well, right, if I haven't got that tactical knowledge, even though I played for a long time, I'm not a coach. I'm not a manager. Speak to coaches and managers about. Because they're, they're the skilled ones in this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you select a team? Why is he playing there? Why do you choose that formation for this game? And I just tried to soak up. And then, as, as I've understood a lot more, the coach's mind and the, and the, and the, head, the, the manager's mind, you start to understand then what coaching and managing is all about. But I do keep it at a very... You know, I'm not, I'm not on the levels of, of Premier League coaches. I don't think as, as deep. I try to because I'm thinking about the viewer again. You can overcomplicate the game as much as you want, but my job is to be kind of that middleman between the game and the viewer. And I want to understand what I'm saying. So hopefully, if I can explain something tactically 
pretty understandably for anybody who's watching the game. I feel that that's my job, not to say as a former player or as a, a bit of a coach, I'm going to overcomplicate this so you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be clever, I'm trying to make the viewer understand what's going on on the pitch. So I think you can, again, you can understand tactically as much as you want, but it's how you explain yourself to the viewer. Because as I say, the viewer is king, he's paying the money, and it's pointless if you confuse them, they don't understand what you're talking about, you're, you, you're just wasted, you're absolutely wasted. So I'm very conscious of understanding tactics but not making them so complicated that the viewer can't understand them. There might be players when you're watching again that you've either perhaps potentially played with at one point when they, as they've now come through the ranks or you may know now. How is it like commentating or analysing their play in your position when you perhaps know them from a professional level or just or just personally? Is it is it can it be tough to have that impartiality? And have you ever had anybody come to you afterwards saying, you know, why did you say this or why do you think I, you know, I didn't play well in that position? Uh, yeah, we've only had one instance where a player has come to the trucks in the car park after the game, so obviously that's where everything's broadcast from, So, and taken offence at... at uh, it's a red card, actually, he was sent off for a very bad tackle, um, and, and rightly sent off, and uh, I, I don't know, what, I think what happened was, it was a Blackpool player, I won't mention his name, but he was sent off in a game, and it was it was an over-the-top, it was a horrible tackle, and again, what I always try and do, I, I, whether I know the player or not, I'm always trying to see, you take away any kind of friendship or connection you might have, and just look at it on a purely footballing point, of view and the key thing is I probably made a tackle like that and people have tackled me like that so I understand I'm not saying this lightly I'm saying again former player sees a player out on the pitch make a challenge like that I'm probably best qualified to say whether that is right or wrong and that, that's what we're there for my opinion is that's why it's valuable as a former player so I said it's an, you, can see, you can see it anyway it's an over to the top challenge you're not playing the ball it's really reckless dangerous red card it's an obvious one so the player came to the trucks to speak to myself and, and the commentator and I think he had a phone call from home maybe they felt that we were I don't know what happened but it seems like they wound him up to say that we were taking the mickey out of him which what we did was I said come in and watch the come and watch the clip back and see what we actually say if you're worried about but then he tried to defend the tackle and I said look I'm not being funny again I, I, you know I've played the game you're telling me that you played the ball there and eventually he came round because he knew he was wrong he just basically wanted us to say sorry but you have to even though this is just a one-off in 10 years this has only happened once there comes a point where you know you can have your opinion you've got to explain yourself I've got my opinion I'm explaining why you should be sent off your your validation of it, it isn't right, it's wrong. So actually, it, it eventually we're all friends at the end of it and they understood we're not out to get anybody, we're not out to make anybody look stupid. We say a lot of positive things as much as we say negative things. That's our job. Our job is not to crucify people, it's to do our job, right or wrong, good or bad. That, that's what we're there to do. So eventually we did explain it all to him. We played the clips back to him. You can see there's nothing we said that was, that was untoward or we weren't laughing at him in any way because there was no reason to because it was a bad tackle. Um, but again, I just it, as soon as they say I, I, you know, I played the ball there, that's when the the old football in me kicks in and says, "Hold on a minute, you clearly didn't." I, I've made tackles like that. You were looking to hurt someone. You're not playing the ball. If you're playing the ball, you tackle in a different way. And they, eventually, they can only pull the wool over your eyes so much. And that's the former players, you know, speaking to a, a former player. That's you can't get away with it because players will say, you, "You try and explain to me how how that's right what you did." So I knew he was on shaky ground. But again, it wasn't it didn't hold anything against him. It's just it's every right to come and speak to us and, and challenge us. But it is very very rare. That's one occasion I've had. So hopefully, you know, I might know the players out there. We do have some really good relationships with coaches and players. But if they make mistakes, if they 
bad challenge it. I'm not going to defend them and say, well, he's a friend of mine, so that means it shouldn't be a red. I, I try to just see it as a, an incident in a game, and my job as a professional is to dissect that and say what I think. I might be wrong, and I have been wrong many, many times, but I'll always base it on what I think I know from playing the game. So, yeah, you have to put those kind of uh, friendships aside when you... And actually... It's actually, I've played for Man City for many years, and obviously with City's success, I'm not critical. I just commentate on Man City, and if they if they win four nil but don't play particularly well, I'll say, well, for City that wasn't that was kind of sixty percent of what they're capable of. And City fans are kind of up in arms that a former City player would say something. Like that. I'm saying, well, I'm, yes, I'm a former City player, but I'm a broadcaster now. Yeah, you've got to do you've got to do your job. Oh, yeah, it's only my opinion on what I've seen. Again, if you think I'm wrong tell me that I'm wrong but I guarantee there's games where City have put five or six past the team and they've actually not been brilliant but actually and that's what I'm saying so again it's, it's you're an easy target but you're an easy target I've always whenever I say something I've always got a reason why I'm saying it I would never come out and say something and then think if somebody challenged me on it I've got nowhere to go I'm hopefully experienced enough and considered enough and I've made all these mistakes myself is that if I do say something and they're normally criticising someone for a mistake or a bad tackle I'll always say this is why I'm saying this and I always relate to my career you know, I've done the same thing as well and then I think if you do that you're giving yourself a reason for what you say don't just say something and then think oh wait a minute I've got to find a reason why I've said that being controversial is you can be controversial as long as you've got a reason for it but don't just do it for the sake of it so yeah friendships have to be put aside because again and I think that I think in a way that kind of hopefully players do appreciate that actually you are very fair and that's what I tend to get when I said they might say something about you said that about what I did there. I said, yeah, but what about the two or three other things I said about what you did brilliantly? And they're like, oh, right, I didn't hear that. Well, that's human nature, isn't it? You always remember when somebody criticises you rather than pats you on the back. So I'm saying just watch it all again and just, just there's a balance to what we do. No, no one's all bad and no one's all good. But again, you've got to understand and with that Blackpool player coming to I think he then understood what it, as a, being a, a broadcaster, the, the challenge for us is to do our job and that we're not out to get anybody, we're there to do the best possible job. But we can be wrong and if we are wrong, I've, I've admitted it many times, you've got to hold your hands up. Uh, and I don't know whether you've had this particular type of experience as well, which is kind of linked to what we've just talked about, but obviously the, the role of a, a co-commentator and a, and a pundit is very more prominent now. And sometimes you'll find that, you know, usually we, with managers and players post-match, they'll make a comment and the media will, will write a story about a particular comment they made. But now what you seem to find is if a... Uh, perhaps more so with, with a pundit makes a comment the, me, the papers and the media might make a, a piece out of that of why they've said that you know for example Gary Neville might say something and then they, yes. they'll say to you, yeah. know, you know can you believe that Gary Neville said this about X player uh, yes. and obviously now with social media where fans can, fans can reach out to people more particularly have you ever had that kind of experience where you've perhaps said something on co-commentary or punditry in there and it's been made into some kind of story and it, is that quite a, a weird experience now uh, uh, of the media that these kind of roles in broadcasting, their views are being turned into stories as much as a player or a manager would say in a press conference or a, a post game. Yeah, what well, I've, I've actually seen in press rooms is, is guys recording what, say, Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher or Roy Keane is saying because, again, they might use that and so actually Gary Neville or Roy Keane said it. Again, to me, it's all about who's saying it. If I had made the comments probably that maybe Gary or Roy Keane make... It's less probably kind of um, noteworthy if I say it than if than if Gary Neville says it. Now that's just who's actually saying what they're saying. But again, with Gary and Jamie and Roy, 
where when they say something, they, they have a reason why they're saying it. It's very rare that they just say something just maybe to be sensational. They do have very strong opinions. At times it can be controversial, but they always, they're always intelligent enough to say, well, I'm saying this because of this. But to me, it, it is about who's saying it. And again, with Gary and, and Jamie and Roy, they are the most high-profile pundits we have out there with, with strong opinions. So people are going to listen. But I said many, many things. And after a game, I thought, oh, I wonder if maybe that's been picked up, you know, maybe a criticism of, of a coach or a, a player. And it doesn't tend to be, again, I've said it for the right reasons and said it, I've got, I've got a reason for saying it, but because I've said it, and maybe if Gary Neville said the same thing, it'd probably get a lot more, it'd get highlighted a lot more. So I think it tends to be not solely what's being said, but who's actually saying it. So again, that in, in a way plays into my hands because I'm, I'm then hopeful that people are actually really listening to what I'm saying and not trying to pick out the sensational kind of comments and say, well, you know, I listened to a commentary from Gary Neville, but he said this one thing, so that's what it was all about. When actually a commentary is never all about just one sentence or one comment about a culture or a player. So I think, in a, in a way, I'd rather be where I am, because maybe people will, and again, you, you maybe don't get, if, if people did and wanted to criticise what I said, I'd, like I did with the Blackpool player, I'd stand up and, and, and argue my, my case. But it doesn't tend to happen as much. It, it mainly tends to be, I think player commentators or pundits like myself and Alan Smith, we tend to be kind of a bit more vanilla maybe than than maybe Gary Neville and, and Roy Keane and Jamie Carrick because they're more they are more headline stuff they've had bigger careers more successful careers than I ever had and they're fairly new to the scene as well so it's natural that people are going to be kind of kind of drawn to what they say and because they have a maybe a history of, of, of saying these things as well so they are they are good press but again I just that that's that I'm, I'm not that type of personality I'm not that high profile I would never have that high-profile player. But again, as a broadcaster, you know, I, have, I want to be hopefully respected and I want to work with integrity. So I, I just do what I can do in my way. And if people were to, to react to it, then that's absolutely fine. But generally, a lot of my stuff tends to kind of go under the radar because, again, it's me saying it and not someone maybe more high-profile. And you've talked before about some of the people you've worked with recently and in your career so far, people like Martin Tyler and Peter Jury and Alan yes. Parry. Is there anyone yes. particular that you've, you've learnt the most from so far or enjoyed perhaps working with more in terms of help developing your career um, in, in what you do? It's probably the not the two ends of the spectrum, but I think obviously working with Martin Tyler, who's been around for you know forty odd years. There's, no, there's you know, Martin. I, to me, it seems that Martin has commentated on every single football match that's ever been played because his knowledge is absolutely. He's a legend, of course. He's it's not just the Aguero goal. He's been around, you know, presenting back in the seventies. It's his career is absolutely incredible. So working with Martin is. It, it is the best of the best, of course, because of, of, of his, his reputation and what he's achieved. But also working with, with people like Dan Mann, who I've known from my radio days, and I, I consider Dan Mann, Rob Hawthorne, Bill Leslie, they, they are maybe looking at Sky commentators. They are the future of the business as well. And they, again, it's, it's a slightly result of the world has changed. We're in 2020 now. Martin's obviously had to develop over the years as well. But the, I think the art of commentary has, has changed. And it's how those, they are different personalities, those three guys, Rob, Bill and, and, and Dan that I've mentioned. And they do bring kind of a, a, a different way of, of commentating to bear as well. So 
I just think they're good friends and we work well together because we know each other really well and again we understand what our roles are and we've had a lot of experience in doing games together but it's yeah it's probably those those the, kind of the ends of these the really experienced Martin in his mid-70s Danny Mann who's in his I think he's now 40 but again he's just again the style is maybe different than say Martin does it but again it's really enjoyable it's really informative there's humour in there which I'm a big fan of as well I think we have to get humour into commentaries make it you know, we, we really enjoy what we do and we want the viewers to, to hopefully enjoy it so if you have that enthusiasm and, and those three guys I've mentioned certainly have that and they're just again the, the levels that they work at there how they don't get anything wrong is just extraordinary and to be and to be able to react in the way that they do and just get the right again the tone the tempo the feeling just the, the words themselves it's just it is such a difficult skill to work because again it's not scripted we don't know what's going to happen and bam and there they are on the money every single and that's why they're where they are because of what they do so I want to I want to kind of play second fiddle to that and think if I can get anywhere near that level so but again it's, it's that we you know we travel to games together so we become friends I think that comes across then on the gantry as well is that people you know you're not stumbling over each other you're not talking over each other there's, there's an ease there of working with these people as well so I, I do think whether I'm around or not those three guys I would see as very much the future of, of, of Scott. They might stay there, they might go elsewhere, but these guys are going to be around for a long time because they're brilliant people and they are just phenomenal commentators and they're going to get better and better because they've got another 30 years ahead of them. So just imagine how much better they're going to get when they're kind of Martin Tyler's age. So I think it's, it's just I've been so blessed with the people that I've been around and that have helped me and every time I've asked for help they've given it to me because they know hopefully I'm doing it for the right reasons so I've built these friendships with all the comments everybody that works at Sky and the OBs the, graphs, the graphics and stats guys I've tried to include everybody you know, in, in improving what I do because I want to be and they can help me do that but uh, again those, those three I'd say were, are extraordinary commentators and will only get better and better and the role that you have now in broadcasting obviously has broadened out now, thanks to uh, thanks to podcasting. Obviously, what we do, what we're doing now, and obviously you're uh, you're part of a, a podcast called Set Piece Menu with people like Rory Smith and Hugh Ferris and Stephen yeah. Royce. Um, yeah. uh, it, we know here on Fancast, we're a massive fan of, of Set Piece Menu. Uh, <laughs> honestly, honestly, every time an episode comes out, people people in the group are sharing it. Going, have you heard this one this week? Um, <laughs> For, for those who haven't heard Set Piece Menu before, can you just give our listeners just a brief overview of, of what it's all about? Yeah, I, I play a very small part in this. I bring a bit of kind of nonsense to the proceedings. But we have, uh, yeah, Hugh Ferris is... Uh, we, we've all known each other for a good kind of 15, 20 years. That's why we... Or Hugh had the idea of, of doing this podcast. So Hugh's kind of a... a he can do everything, Hugh, but mainly he's a presenter. Steve Wyathworth, BBC Match of the Day, BT, does all the, the German games. Roy Smith... He, uh, um, uh, writes for the New York Times and obviously I bring my kind of football background and, and punditry background to it so the four I think we cover a lot of areas of, of kind of football we understand the media side of football and those guys have watched more football than I've ever watched as well so they're far more informed than I ever ever am but what we wanted to do was rather than say have a podcast that reacts to say a week's events or a weekend's events Hugh came up with the idea of having these kind of subjects that are kind of timeless that we can kind of talk about and whether you listen to them <clears throat> the day after we did them or in, in five years time that still have some kind of relevance and that was I think it's a really really good idea really good idea and we've done nearly I think 200 and odd episodes now so I, I thought we'd probably run out of, of fuel but again with people listening to it with offering us topics for debate as well 
it's it's been incredible and it's really widened my understanding of, of the history of football of all different aspects of football from the media to the fans to the players to, to players of, of 50 60 years ago stuff that I would never have got around to finding out about I've learned so much from listening to especially to Rory because he's again been a novelist he's written about the history of football and it's incredible so I've learned so much from doing this podcast and again I, I do just play my small part I'm not as educated in, 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 in life and in football as these guys are but it, I think we have the blend of again the four of us all different personalities all different aspects of the media blends well and again it's the topics if you're talking about timeless topics it means that people can go back and if they start listening at episode 100 they can go back through the previous 99 and it's kind of different topics although it's not kind of time constrained which was uh, I think for Hugh it was uh, that's a very very good idea but it's yeah so for me it's part of my education as well you know asking questions thinking about the game is something that maybe uh, in working for Sky you ask a lot of questions and, and you answer them but with this it's kind of it can kind of stimulate me to think well I can ask Rory certain questions about it and it gets me thinking a lot more deeply about what's going on as well so it is a bit it is a bit irreverent it's a bit of fun in there as well but there's, there's some really really good stuff and the people that listen to it like hopefully yourselves really enjoy it and learn an awful lot from it because I know that I have one of the one of the fun things about set piece menu, which is a play on the name as well, I always look forward to yes, every week whatever. is is the food. Is the food aspect. You always bring some kind of food to the to the show every week. I, I, I don't sense my wife tends to make the food that I then serve up and then pass off as my own because I, okay. I know cook, but Hugh and Steve and Rory can all cook and they all pre- and I'm absolutely hopeless. And Nikki's such a great cook, my wife, so I just think, well, why the hell would I try and burn an omelette when she can create something incredible? So it's a kind of a standing. I, I, I pass it off as my own work when, when clearly, but mainly when we're working at my house, Nikki's in the background. So again, it becomes pretty obvious straight away that I've not made this frittata or whatever it is, and Nikki will will back up the boys and say, yeah. I made that, and he's just passing it off as his work. But that's the kind of thing I do. I just I pretend I'm good at lots of things, but I uh, I tend to get found out in the end. Have you never been tempted to go to a shop and buy something and try and pass it off as your own? I, I couldn't possibly say that I bought a case from a shop and, and <laughs> taken it out of the packaging, put it on a plate, and pretended it's mine. But it's they know. They just know. There's no way they look at the they look at the food. They look at me, and they just know for a fact. A cake. There's no way on it. I struggle with with opening kind of. Um, packets of bread and stuff like that there's no way I'm going to be saying there's a lemon drizzle cake that I made this morning they'll know for a fact that's not happened it's just it, it doesn't it's not what I'm it's not what I'm like they, they know it they, they know me well enough that's not going to happen uh, with, with, when you're doing the set piece menu podcast and, and kind of podcast in general do you find any sense of freedom uh, with doing those shows perhaps uh, obviously with Sky you, you're given the games that you're doing and uh, kind of the things you're looking to talk about. I guess with podcasting, there is more of a freedom with it that you can determine the the tone and, and the topics that you choose and, and how you address those in the episodes. Yes, I, I definitely think so. But it, it tends, it's very rare. I think of all the episodes we've done, I've only come up with maybe two or three ideas. Because again, why would I come up with ideas that are probably pale into insignificance compared to what the what the lads come up with so I let they seem to enjoy and are really really good at, at creating these topics which I kind of just basically come along and, and join in with but we do this kind of soccer story bit as well and I'm, I'm running out of stories now to kind of tell a story from the kind of the media career or the football career and you know, daft stories or poignant stories and we've done loads of different ones and people seem to really I, to me they just seem kind of well why would people be interested in that about kind of the boots that I wore on a, a certain game or whatever but it, it's amazing what people find interesting and that seems to be, I just thought, well, this will just die a death after five or six episodes, but clearly not. And we do a bit of, um, I'm a big fan of Lee Child, the Jack Reacher novels as well, so we do some of these um, Reacher read-throughs where I'll read some of the, yes, the dialogue yes, from these books. Yeah. Well. And that seems to, again, have struck a chord. People are now going out looking for these books, which I, I love them, I find them hilarious. But again, we've started to 
put some of that into the pod. So we're developing all the time. But yeah, the freedom to yeah tell stories, kind of maybe slightly risque stories that you'd never do on air with Sky. Clearly, you can maybe get away with a little bit more on the podcast as well. And I think again, talking about you know real personal issues. You know, when I retired and the difficulties I had um, stopping playing and kind of with injuries. There's a lot of really personal stuff that you'd never really talk about on Sky because you're there for the, the here and now and the game that's maybe in front of you. You're not going to talk about your own career 25 years ago, but actually on the podcast we can do that. And that really did strike a chord as well. The, the mental anguish in terms of being injured or your, your career ending, because obviously mental health is a, a huge issue now with, with, with players. So again, that really, and people really responded to that. And I thought, again, this is really self-indulgent. Who's going to want to hear about how I felt after I stopped playing? But people really do. So again, all these topics that every time we, we produce one, I always say, well, is that really going to be of interest to people? But the, 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 the listening figures are going up and up all over the world, people are listening. And we've done some um, some live. We did a live show as well, which was incredible. We had 150 people turn up to a live show. So I was able to tell a really risque story in that one because it wasn't broadcast. But that, you know, people, it's just... But I think, again, it is, it's not it's the personalities and hopefully the blend that we have. It's not just clearly not just me. No one who comes in, just me. It's the, it's the fact that we've got all the people that are on it that work so well together. And I just think the humour in it is the key thing as well. We're always willing to laugh at each other and at whatever we're talking about. And I think people respond when you enjoy what you're doing, you make it fun, people are bound to react to that positively as well. Now, on this point of these episodes, what I usually do is ask uh, for advice for those who are looking to get into that this particular career. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not really expecting a current or a former footballer to be regularly listening to our show. Uh, yeah. But one of the things we talked about off-air before uh, we started recording was something that you're actually putting together to try and help uh, former footballers who perhaps want to get into broadcasting and, and learn about doing the kind of role that you're, you're into now. Could you just tell us a bit more about what that is and what you're looking to put together? Yeah, I think firstly, if you've got, say, a former player or, or someone who's studying media, I think ultimately it is about enthusiasm and hard work will, will get you. It gets you a long way in any profession, but so whether you are a former player or a, a student of, of media, if you work incredibly hard and you have that enthusiasm, you, you, you're halfway there. It's just basically then sometimes they kind of, whether you get the breaks or, or, or not, or people really enjoy what you're doing or not, but constantly, again, developing what you're doing, keep on pushing and learning, listening to what you're doing. So I think that's, that's so important for anybody getting into the media whatever whatever kind of discipline they're looking to get into but for former players as I talked about before being thrown in the sink or swim method I, I, I thought well hold on a minute modern companies don't employ that type of of, of, um, of, of way of bringing people into the business they don't take a, a former player at 30 and say you took him into any business stuck him in the boardroom and say you can just run the company without any training or understanding of what we do it didn't make any sense to me so I thought well I benefited from getting all this, this advice from people around me I've learned from it and hopefully developed from it. So what I wanted to do was then kind of formulate that, put it into some kind of training plan because there's nothing out there for former players along these lines. And basically then you can sit down with players and say, whether it be studio, uh, punditry, whether it be touchscreen analysis, whether it be co-commentary, we can show you with the aid of clips and a, and, and a plan exactly what the demands are going to be. If you want, do, do you want to come into this industry? If you do, this is what the demands will be in these different roles. And it's all, again, it's not just what I think, it's what Martin Tyler thinks, it's what all the top directors of Sky, Peter Drury, the, the best people out there in the business who are still working today. This is not, as if it was 10 years ago, this is, this is today you're going to get up to the minute kind of advice on on what you need to do to to give yourself the very from day one because what you don't want to do is go in on that first opportunity you get 
because you're nervous and you don't know what the job is, is make a mess of it and then be judged on that. And actually, there's a lot of good people who do get judged too quickly who never work again. So I'm, what I want to do, again, is, is maybe speak to these guys before they get their, their opportunity or early on in their careers and say, we'll sit down, we'll show you exactly what it's all about. We can mock up studios, we can, we can, we can get video clips of, of goals that go in and we can explain to you what you should be looking at as a co-commentator. And it's just because, again, I feel an obligation because I've learned so much from the people that I've got information from that I'm passing it back down the line. I don't want to just keep it to myself and say, well, as long as I'm great and I continue to work, that, that, that's that's fine. I, in, in time, I can only do this job so long, and then maybe you get into this kind of coaching, mentoring side of things. Sky are very keen to maybe put this in place as well, because it, it's probably if you ask the, the fan out there, you look at the coverage of BBC, ITV, Sky, BT, it looks so professional that you think, well, surely there must be everybody's trained to, to the maximum to, to produce what they produce. But for the former player, it certainly isn't the case. I know that for a fact. So we're trying to, again, I'm trying to be that middleman with the help of the lads from Set Piece Menu as well. We're all going to work on this together because they all have such great skills in different um, different areas that they can help any ball player. And I spoke to, obviously, the lads that come along to work at Sky. The first thing I tend to do is, look, we've, we've formulated this, this kind of plan. Are you interested in maybe sitting down and, and talking it through? Every single one of them have said yes because they know if, if they see maybe the point that I've got to through hard work and understanding what my role is, the same can be true for them. And they can maybe achieve in, in a year what I've taken 10 years to achieve. So again, you're just giving them the tools to be the best that they can be. And every one of them as, as is keen. So hopefully get this started maybe in the in the new year once the lockdown and everything's eased and, and we can get out and meet people again. I'm, I'm really keen on, on getting out there and, and seeing just how this works but I'm, I'm optimistic because I know that all the stuff in there is, is what I've learned and again it's, it's if where I am is I'm, I'm the product of what I've learned and how I do things then passing this this back down the chain to, to players coming out of the game is is, is what is my obligation I feel it's, it's it'll be a great thing to do to coach and mentor people um, but it's I'm very conscious that it's, it's not just me thinking I'm great I've got all the answers I've got all this information from the greatest minds around the game that have been around the game for 40, 50 years so really it's passing all their information on really and, and kind of doing it for today this is this is how the media is today so if you want to be good you have to put that you have to do your own work you have to be able to you have to maybe go back to school and learn extra vocabulary to explain yourself if you've got it in your head how can you get it out how can you explain yourself so there's loads of loads and loads and loads of stuff that we've got planned and it'll be interesting to see again the uptake I think will be interesting but um, people will be, but they, they can't go wrong because the content of it is absolutely excellent it's what I've learned and I'm, I'm hoping it'll give a lot of guys uh, an opportunity of course when you we talk about mental health leaving the game is a huge is a huge step something you've done for maybe 15 years or more and there's a lot of life after football and I know that the, the, I've approached the leads with this I'm going to hopefully go into a few football clubs to speak to them to their players as well and explain there's a possible career here for you the clubs and leagues are very keen because for, for mental health and, and their, their their players, it's it's a it's a, a future career as well. It'll, it'll help kind of transition from from playing to something else as well. So it's everybody seems keen on it, and because there's nothing out there, the time is right to, to maybe get this off the ground as well. So I'm very interested to see what the uptake is and, and just how successful it can be. And the final question of this episode is the same question we ask um, for all the other guests we've had in this series, and it's a big question. Uh, how do you see uh, kind of the reporting on football and how it's presented uh, in the media changing in the next decade? How do you think it will look in 10 years' time? How will it be reported on? What's your kind of view on how it will, football on the TV and the radio or, or digitally, how, how will it look in the next decade? Yeah, I, I do get a sense that maybe... 
the written press, obviously, with the rise of the internet and and podcasts and all this type of all this type of thing, is that people maybe get their information now from from different sources. So I, I just wonder about the future of the of the written press. Maybe there's this is is that going to maybe wane a little bit, and people are going to use their computers, use the internet for for gaining all the information about football and about their clubs. Um, so that might be a, a possible development on on that score. But what I in terms of working. On, on TV, I, I'm actively trying to change the way, change the culture, maybe at Sky as well, in, in developing how what we put on screen to inform and entertain the viewer better and better as well. Because as we talked about, fans are, are really in the know, viewers are really in the know about the game as well. So we, we really have to kind of push the boundaries and keep, with the technology, the incredible technology we have, is keep pushing and pushing to try and explain things to people better and better. And that's that's partly the challenge for us as well to improve the product that we, we give to the paying viewer I'm really conscious of that but yeah I think just the, the absorption um, of, of the game seems to be going obviously online more than anything else and, and, and in podcasts and that's why yeah, I never really understand the power of the podcast until you start to do them and you see the response that you get how many people do take the time to listen to half an hour or an hour's podcast about something that they're, they're interested in they will do it on their commute to work or when they've got some free time that's what they tend to do now. Rather than say, "Well, I'll go and pick up a paper and read that," they tend to consume it through through different um, media outlets. So I think that that seems to be the way it's going. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not so sure because you know, I was brought up in an age where you had kind of comics and and, and uh, newspapers. That that was that was what it was. You know, you used to get out of the shop to get a paper from my dad and stuff like that. But that all seems to maybe be because everything is instant at your fingertips now. And I think it's that they wanted people want to know things when they want to know them. They don't want to wait. So if there's a story or there's something they're interested in about any club, bang, they want to go on the on the on the internet and find out what's going on. So I think it's it's developing that way. I can't see how it, it was what would stop that happening unless there was a sudden crash or, or lack of interest in the in the internet. Don't see it. Social media's on the rise, podcasting's on the rise. That seems to be the way that people consume things these days. But from a TV point of view, yeah, it's it's, it's like as Alex Ferguson said, you've got to run to stand still. You've got to keep pushing and progressing and giving people, as long as it's good stuff and informative stuff, don't just do it for the sake of it. It's not about the glory of, aren't I great doing this job? It's about how can we enhance the, 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 the viewer's enjoyment of, of, of what they're watching and, and can they, are they getting value for money? So I'm very conscious of, of hopefully playing my part. I'm not saying I've, I've got all the answers, but I've, you know, I've been encouraged along the way with the people I've spoken to at Sky and a lot of help as well to, to, to implement these things as well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say just maybe the... Yeah, the, the lack of maybe newspaper reporting in the future, it maybe will always be there to a certain degree, but it seems to be getting less and less, and it's, it's because of maybe the immediacy that people want their information. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.